Millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom, like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, right? For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. Say hello to a new era of mental health care. Cerebral is here to help you achieve your mental wellness goals with professional therapy and medication management support. 100% online. You'll experience the all-new Cerebral way, an innovative approach to mental wellness designed around you. You'll get a personalized treatment plan from a therapist, prescriber, or both in a safe and judgment-free space. Your cerebral therapist or prescriber will outline a customized plan with clear milestones along the way, so you can get to feeling your best. With Cerebral, you're not alone in your mental health journey. We're here to empower you to live a fulfilling life. So take that first step towards a brighter future and sign up today at Cerebral.com slash podcast and use code ACAST to get 15% off your first month. Offer only valid on monthly plans. Other exclusions may apply. Offer ends July 31st, 2024. See site for details. Hello, everybody, and welcome to the Trek Culture Podcast. I am one of your hosts, Sean Ferrick. I'm Paul Sutherland. And we are joined by a very special guest this week, Nick, who you might know as Ket Wolski from the wonderful land of the internet. Nick, how are you getting on? And thank you so much for joining us. Oh, thank you so much for having me. I'm super excited to be here and, and talk with you guys about, uh, about Star Trek. And I've been doing really good, you know, kind of just getting some rest and relaxation in kind of post 23 weeks straight of Star Trek and as we kind of get into our lull between content releases. So I've been kind of relaxing a little bit, focusing on other things. But uh, yeah, I've been doing really good. But I'm excited to talk today. It's going to be good. Excellent. Cool. Like how how we felt like kind of kicking off straight away into the because we, we asked this last week as well, myself and Paul, we, we, we asked uh, Trek yours, you know, 23 weeks. Did you sleep? You know, how, how, how was that? Uh, it was a really good, it was a really great time, I should say. Not even good, it was great, you know, because, you know, going into Lower Decks, it was like, okay, what is this weird cartoon show that we're going to be watching? And well, lo and behold, that turned out to be really frigging cool. And then we had the exciting, you know, future stuff that was going to go on with Star Trek Discovery and it was just a great time, you know, and then that rolled kind of, you know, this expands outwards from Star Trek, but then that rolled right into the, the Mandalorian time frame. So then there was that weird time period where we were getting good content, like, consistently, like, all week. It was, like, looking forward to the end of the week, like, constantly. I felt like a kid again, you know, with, like, a, like the sci-fi channel TV shows that were coming out on the weekends, you know, Stargate and Battlestar Galactica. It felt like that again, where it's like, I can't wait to these for these shows to be released so I can watch them and stuff. It was great. I really enjoyed it. I'm ready for more. You know, not to like praise the pandemic, but one of the great things about COVID times has been um, <laughs> that you don't have to go to work or so a lot of us don't have to go to work the next morning. So I was like staying up until 11 to watch Discovery when it would uh, drop here on, uh, in California. And I was staying up until midnight to, to watch The Mandalorian when it would, you know, uh, show up on Disney Plus. 
Yeah, absolutely. I was I was the exact opposite. I'm much more of a morning person, but I was like cracking like crack at dawn, like four thirty. I'd be like rolling over, and I'd grab my phone, and I'd be like, "All right, let's go. It's time to watch. Let's do this," you know. And I'd be just just powering through both episodes, you know, the the Discovery and Mandalorian stuff, and it was great. But it was a great time. It was a really great time, you know. And I, it almost is kind of like. It is nice to be kind of done with it because it was exa- it was an exhausting 23 weeks of reviews and discussions and live streams and stuff, but I almost kind of miss it, and I, I'm eagerly awaiting more new Trek content, and I can't wait to get whatever that is, whether it's Prodigy or Lower Decks or whatever comes up next. It is a shame that we don't know uh, which one is coming first, and like we don't even have kind of a rough you know uh, understanding of when that might be other than maybe this year. Um, but at least in the UK, uh, you know, uh, they're getting, uh, they got lower decks on, I think Amazon prime. Amazon yeah. prime. Yeah. Yeah. Yep. Uh, yeah. It actually, it, yeah. So it just, it just dropped, um, uh, Amazon prime UK there two weeks ago now. Yeah. The and end of, so I've, end of January, early February. Yeah. That is, ex- that's it exactly yeah. right. And, and I've binged it all again and I've got to, I mean, for the first time, um, certainly watching it streaming that's um, right that's right, right. Yes. yes yes so, of yes, course yes, yeah. that's right yeah. <laughs> um right right but right. i've just it's that good like it holds i i almost have a nostalgia of it which is ridiculous when you think about it because it was only a few months ago that it started to air and mm. i got to what i got to watch back some of the episodes that i haven't watched since they Again, first aired, it sounds like years ago, but it wasn't. I was like, oh, yeah, this is brilliant. And I remember this scene and it, and it was great. And it's just been fun. Again, that's what I love about Lower Decks. It's fun. Yeah, I agree. You know, Lower Decks is a lot of fun, you know. And I, when I talked to uh, Mike McMahon about, about the show and its kind of successes, I think even he's still a little bit in awe with how people did react to it. I think that first trailer, I remember the reaction, I'm sure you guys too, I remember the reaction of that very first trailer they released on YouTube, and the reaction wasn't so good. People were a little like, uh, is this show going to suck? Because uh, comedy is very challenging, uh, you know, and this is like a very unique Star Trek construct, but I think that they knocked it out of the park. I really do. People, people who, every person that I saw in my comments and, and online, you know, that that finally actually gave the show an opportunity and then watched it, said that they were pleasantly surprised by how good it was. I think people who consistently crapped on it, I, I think either didn't watch it at all or were, I think, maybe just looking for a reason to hate it because, you know, I, I respect that if you don't find it comedic or funny, but I still think that the episodes hold up whether you're enjoying the jokes or not. I still think they're really, really engaging, I, I thought. And the animation was good, too. Good stories. It was fun yeah, not to fall down the rabbit hole of this kind of like uh, discussion, but I mean, there's like a willful, you know, like urge to not like a lot of this, the content that's coming out right now. That, that was definitely, you know, clear with some of the reactions to Lower Decks. But like, I mean, like when the first trailers came out, I, I was just like, uh, I'm keeping an open mind. You know, I wasn't mm-hmm. like, this looks funny because like, I thought the trailers were really actually not great. They were very shouty and way more annoying than the show ended up being. And uh, didn't show the kind of like fun or like interesting sci-fi, you know, uh, concepts that the show actually ended up playing with. And it also kind of made it seem like it might be disposable, which is what I kind of wanted to talk about today was um, Lower Deck specifically, I thought like had like a major impact on the Star Trek universe in ways that I was like kind of really surprised about. And nobody really talks about that much. Like, um, I, I think it's a moist vessel. Uh, which is like the third or fourth episode, (laughs) 
One of the characters is uh, is trying to transcend, uh, and he discovers that the Star Trek universe uh, exists on the back of a giant koala, and <laughs> like that's just like who's such smiling, a crazy development. Yeah. Right, um, right. And like I just like you know like I think Memory Alpha, the Star Trek Wikipedia, just kind of like hand waved it away. But I, to me, that was like wait, that's like a huge you know, like, statement about this, like, fictional universe that we all love. Oh, yeah, I agree with you. The 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 fun part of it is, I, w- I would argue that that's where the, they perfectly captured that gray area where it's like, if you don't want to consider that the space koala that's smiling is, is really impactful to the Star Trek universe, it's okay. And, but also, like you just said, like, if you really want to actually begin to embrace a lot of those constructs and really kind of just enjoy what they're trying to tell you and expand the horizons of the franchise, you can also do that. And I think that's specifically because it's an animated show. It has that feel to it. And they really did a good job of kind of capturing that because I know everybody's like, people may not have engaged the koala stuff, but I don't know, everybody was engaged on the arrival of the Titan. And like, that's it, you know, like the Titan design, it's alpha canon, it's hard canon now, no jokes, like that's there and everyone's embracing that. So you're right, like that the show really did impact um, canon. And I think it's going to do even more because we're going to get more Titan stuff in the Mm. second season. But what's interesting is you made a comment about the the trailers kind of like being really shouty and not really capturing it. I I would argue that... uh, uh, the limited footage is probably the reason for that because from what I understand and from what uh, Mike McManus said in interviews and stuff is that they were literally like editing episodes and finalizing episodes like like leapfrogging week to week as they were re- being released. So they probably didn't even have finished footage ready to go for that trailer, which is unfortunate because if you look at the trailer, it includes a lot of like episodes one through three stuff, but not too much beyond that. And it, it I think that kind of hurt them but I think if people who gave it an opportunity to actually watch the episodes, I think it really worked out for folks. It's a good show. Invictus, the whole Invictus thing, that was great, where they were making fun of all the Star Trek movies. That's a classic episode. Like, I love, that's one of my favorite episodes when they make fun of all the Star Trek movies because it's just great, super meta. I love it. I love just the, the sheer amount of lens flares in the episode, like, and just the <laughs> look, and the, the way they changed the score so it really reflected... Uh, a lot of the James Horner music from Two as well. What, what I think, what what kind of sold me on it before the release, of the first episode was when it was after the trailer came out. But when that opening scene, you remember they really? I think it was about a minute and a half they released to say the opening of the first episode, and you get mm-hmm. to see uh, Space Doc sitting there. I think I think it's Douglas Station, um, mm-hmm. and Boimler's doing his captain's log. I think from that point, a lot of fears of you know, because we'd only seen the Cerritos at this point. We hadn't seen, say, other Star Trek designs. Like, well, look at how lovingly they've recreated Space Dock. Um, I think for me, that was like, boom, I'm sold. I'm in. Yeah. Yeah, they did a great job with it. The Space Dock stuff, the O'Brien references to the O'Brien at work internet meme, which is just super meta and very much into the weeds of the fandom. You know, like, that's... That you can just tell, like the people that were writing that show, like they genuinely are aware of most things Trek related, and they were pumping as much of that into the episodes as they could. And I think it really paid off. I think it was a really great way to at least get us kicked off for the year after you know, because we had Picard at the beginning of the year, and then we had this huge down period because of the the pandemic, and then it really kicked us off and got everybody, I think, even more jazzed 
than I think normally would have been for for Discovery because it was originally supposed to be the opposite. Discovery was supposed to lead into Lower Decks, but they flipped it, and I think it actually worked out for the better. I think it actually really mm-hmm. helped Lower Decks and it really helped Discovery. So it was a smart choice. Yeah, I can't. I can't imagine uh, the release date being flipped. Um, I, I thought that like Lower Decks was like such a nice, like refreshing change from Picard. Uh, I obviously liked Picard, but it was a, like a really heavy show. It was very serious, yeah. you know. And uh, Lower Decks like just totally, you know, obviously came in and changed the tone, <clears throat> lightened things up. And then you've got Discovery season three, which you know, for all its faults that we've covered ad nauseum on our, you know, on our <laughs> yeah. podcast. Um, not yeah. sure what you're talking about yeah was, what do you mean it, yeah it was at least a, like a lighter you know it was like a more optimistic version of the show um you know uh, i think like that back half of of lower decks is like you know so strong that we kind of like even like take for granted like all the great content that was there like um you know john delancey coming back as q for uh, you know like a couple of scenes mm-hmm. um i thought it was like really great and implied this whole other life for q that you know like he's going around pestering cerritos crew it almost seems like it, it, it i don't want to like you know diminishing like his interactions with the enterprise d crew would kind of suck but like it kind of like you know q is omnipotent and out of time and you know so he could be doing this stuff at any point in his if you call it life his life you know so like <clears throat> i don't know i just like it implied like this wider world you know, usually cameos like that make the universe feel small. But I thought that, like, the, the way they had Q show up in, like, what were, like, clearly, like, numerous, you know, instances, incidents of Q pestering the crew. Um, you know, I just thought that, like, that opened up the world. I agree, because it wasn't even just... And I would I would say that the Riker's arrival at the end also added to that. But I would say that the addition of little throwaway lines and references to those characters throughout the entire season had this implication that there's a lot more stuff going on. Like they reference Q a lot in the first season and not in a way that's overwhelming, but in a way that's like, they know what a Q is and it's like common knowledge. And like you just said, like it really implies that Q's screwing around with everybody. And it's really just kind of, he's just making a big fuss in all of Starfleet. And they have like, like, it's almost like you almost feel like they have like Q one one course at the academy this is what happens when he shows up with his weird judge's outfit on his floating chair this is what you should do when he turns everyone into chess pieces and a talking tennis ball shows up or whatever like it's it's yeah it's it's pretty good and i liked how yeah you're right like it was just fun like it was just a fun thing and then it's something that doesn't take away from the more serious tones of picard or discovery it was just a nice change of pace um through those more epics because those are really kind of what those are these big epic stories and it was a nice fun change of pace and i when it was over i was genuinely like yeah i'm gonna need i'm gonna need a lot more of that content so if we could just mike if you could just get on that that would be that would be perfect (laughs) if you could just get on making more episodes i mean mike if you wouldn't mind i mean what else are you up to come on i know yeah come on yeah yeah Um, (laughs) i'm very curious to see how Prodigy um, kind of delivers on sort of the promise that Lower Decks has put out there. Not that they are the same show, but of course course they aren't, but we now know how well uh, modern Star Trek can do animation. So 
we're, it's kind of hard. It's going to be hard not to view Prodigy through the lens of, well, look how good Lower Decks was. But I think it's going. It's it's aimed at being a very very different show. Um, I don't know why, but I kind of have this trepidation when it says it's aimed for kids. Maybe I'm just being a big mean grown up. What 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 do you think? Uh, I so when they say aimed for kids, I think the I think as you you guys are well aware of sci fi franchises and stuff, they're clearly saying, hey. This is going to be our version of Star Wars Rebels. It's going to start off kid-friendly, and then we're going to grow it with the audience. And that seems to be obvious, and it's not a bad business model. It's worked out. They've done it pretty successfully over there at Disney a couple of times already, so makes sense. Um, I'm fine with that. I think that, like, to your point of, like, viewing it through the lens of Lower Decks, they need to, other than the fact that the animation style is going to be different, which is also beneficial because if it looked the same, then it would feel kind of, the, they'd have to feel the same. But since it's going to look different, that's good. But they need to establish way early on that this is a kid's show. And it's got to be kind of like, a, I like to equate it kind of like to Shrek 1. Uh, like the very first Shrek film, which if you're a kid watching the first Shrek film, it's really enjoyable as a kid because you're just enjoying kind of the kid jokes that are there and kind of the wacky zany humor and the slapstick that's going on. But also as an adult, if you watch the first Shrek movie, there's a lot of adult humor in that that goes over kids' heads. So I'm hoping that they kind of blend a little bit of that, not necessarily like X-rated humor, but stuff that's like that adult viewers, that adult Trekkies can also glean into and kind of be like, oh, yeah, I get that, or they kind of get that joke or that reference that maybe kids wouldn't really get but is appealing to the slightly older audience and that when those folks kind of grow up, they can go back and rewatch their favorite show because this potentially will be, if it works, their favorite show because that will be their introduction to the franchise. They'll be like, oh, I get those references now, and that's really cool. So hopefully it has that rewatchability later I on. Don't, I don't think you cast Kate Mulgrew in a – prominent role in the show to appeal to the youngsters um <clears throat> true so, that's very you know. true <laughs> that's very true yeah 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 that that is at least clearly throwing a bone to you know older older audience members uh, established star trek fans um and you know i think uh you know in regards to lower decks and prodigy um i i i, I like that they're I don't know what to expect from Prodigy, you know. Um, I don't know mm-hmm. what to expect from a Star Trek show aimed at kids. I didn't know what to expect from a, you know, a, an animated sitcom, Star Trek. And I, that's one of the, the things that I think is, like, really successful about CBS All Access, now Paramount Plus's Star Trek universe, is that, like, even despite being, you know, fairly dark shows, Picard and Discovery tell very different stories. They, they're again, they're expanding the universe in ways that, you know, um, aren't the same. Like, And I, a big problem with Star Trek on television in the 90s was casual viewers really couldn't tell the difference between Deep Space Nine and Voyager or, you know, even TNG. Um, I know, like, in hindsight, looking back on those shows, you can be like, well, like, you know, they're so different. But aesthetically right. and tonally, there really weren't, they were very close. You know, and like, yeah, Deep Space Nine was really different you know and it was a departure from tng but they still all felt so similar um you know and now we've got like this like real great diversity and it was one of the things i like about the short treks is how diverse each installment of of the short treks is i agree you know i think that i think that franchise fatigue was a thing i think it definitely hurt enterprise beyond the fact that enterprise also had a terrible um release schedule in terms of its um you know network broadcasting and stuff but 
I think it really hurt the shows. And it, yeah, you're right. Like, I think it did. I think that they felt like they had a really winning formula. It worked super well with TNG, and they were just going to try to replicate that with a little bit of twists and turns here and there for certain things. I think Deep Space Nine really grew into itself, but ultimately never really captured the same level of viewing audience, I think, that TNG did, because obviously it didn't have as many seasons, um, and they kind of they kind of put the kibosh on that show. But I agree, like, the ideas, and that's why it's, like, super important that we as Trekkies are on board with this because what they're trying to do is trying to give us a variety and not everything is going to work. And that, like you just said, the short treks, what a great platform of just trying out little tidbit stories or little fun ideas that don't cost a whole lot of money. You've got actors, you've got props and sets and costumes and stuff available. What, what if we just had this fun thing where we did like this kind of a, uh, a weird training exercise with Pike and someone, you know what I mean? Like something fun like that, like that's a really fun thing that doesn't really blend well with an episode or a season, but it's fun to watch and experience. And they're trying all these new things. They even had the animated Short Trek ones, which was Ephraim and Dot and the girl that made the stars. And those were just fun. Like, those were just unique things that just kind of occurred, and they happened to be Star Trek related, and it was really fun to watch those. So I think it's important that we as Trekkies are supportive during these kinds of fun experiments of these different shows and ideas, we still remain critical with and constructive with our feedback and our response, but never allow, we can allow the franchise to fail, but never let it be a failure, you know, and, and, and that's okay. You know, not everything is going to be the best and, you know, we provide our good feedback and we just continue to support it because ultimately it's all track, you know, so it's all good stuff. We're just expanding the universe and it's, it's just more content for us to consume that we're literally going to have for forever. Like, we're going to have this stuff for forever. It's going to be available. It's going to be a part of the Star Trek universe, and we're always going to be able to go back and watch it. And I think that's really cool. You know, I think um, <clears throat> that kind of goes back to what I was saying about Lower Decks, uh, you know, about it, uh, you know, making, like, big swings in, in certain episodes, um, playing with the different tones and the different formats. You know, um, it's not... The, the franchise as a whole right now isn't playing it safe. And that is a big criticism of the later Berman years was the movies all felt very, you know, like they were very like safe. Uh, I keep using the word safe and that's not really like the most, you know, script word, but like you, they didn't take big risks as far as like the visuals. They didn't, um, you know, like uh, change any characters arcs, you know, very dramatically, even though, you know, they gave data, the emotion chip in generations at first contact. He kind of like, fell back into just being data you know you kind of had these guys going through the through the motions by the time Trek nemesis came around and enterprise despite growing into like a really interesting show th- those first couple seasons yeah it was set in the 22nd century but it could have been set almost you know it, uh, most of the episodes were you know so similar to anything that had come on voyager uh mm-hmm. prior to that you know it didn't really distinguish itself and right now the franchise is attempting to, you know, to, to, to go in all these different directions. And I, I don't remember which producer it was. There was like 25 producers on these shows. Maybe, <laughs> maybe it was Kurtzman, but they said like, yeah, we're making all of these shows, but like, we're not like expecting you to watch all of them. You know, like there's like, yes, there's like the diehards like us who will watch every second and then rewatch when they're not around, you know? Um, but right. like, if we make a show that you don't like, don't watch it. But, you know, we'll hopefully have made a different another show that you do like, you know, and I like that, like, diversity in the franchise. I think it's absolutely, it's vital that people do disagree. Not, I'm not talking about hate on it, because there's there's very little constructive 
criticism in, you know, this is not Star Trek or, you know, this would <laughs> never happen or this would never. Right. It's like, all right, I absolutely, it, it's it's fair and understandable that if something doesn't match what you enjoy, um, you every right not to like it. It's, but talk about it. Go, oh, here's what I liked. Because we all have episodes, say, of The Next Generation that, you know, maybe don't do it for us. Or DS9, Voyager. And Paul, as you rightly said, the first two seasons of Enterprise, God love them, they're rough. Um, and then the Zindi arc came out. And it was a just, it's just hit the ground running after that. But Though some would that argue that that's not a good season. You know, like there are fans right, out there so, who really don't like the third season of Enterprise. You're right. absolutely right. And especially the serialized, which now is just normal television. That was, you know, they'd done the experiment with Deep Space Nine, uh, with the Dominion arc. And then you had a whole season with us. And, you, you know, that is hard to get new viewers in. So, yeah, I can understand if people didn't like that. However, what is it? <laughs> Did I lose my point along the way there? Basically, <laughs> try and get him. Ah, damn it. Uh, Paul, you interrupted me. No, but it's like absolutely fair. But it's just like, it's when you see people who are too quick to say, this should be cancelled. That should be cancelled. I don't like this. I don't know. Totally fine that you don't like it. But don't wish cancellation on it because we got Trek cancelled at the end of Enterprise. And it was a pretty bad feeling, to be honest, because we thought, oh, that could be it. You know, at the time, there was no other movies in production. Mm -hmm. Um, It was the first show to be cancelled since the original series. And yeah, it didn't feel very good at all. And if you're a Trekkie, would you not want your franchise to continue? Yeah, I mean, I, I think that's kind of like the real crux of it, right? Which is, you said it, I mean, you, you, there's no there's not a lot of wiggle room with this is not Star Trek. And also, what does that even mean? That's not really a good criticism. Um, if, you know, people being saying like, this doesn't feel like the Star Trek that I know and love. The point is that there's 50, we're at, we're at 55 years this year. And there's 55 years of this long running franchise that you can go back and rewatch and... If you don't like this, you can also go back and rewatch some of the old shows, too, if you really want to go and experience those. They haven't gone. Like I just said a second ago, we have these things for forever now. They're not going anywhere. They're there to watch for forever. And that's that's the fun part about that is if this isn't really your cup of tea, then that's fine. Like you did, like you like you said, you know, if you don't like this one, maybe you'll like the other one. Maybe you'll like the next ones that's coming out. Maybe you'll like Strange New Worlds. Maybe you'll like Section Thirty One whenever they get around to actually making that one. You know, it's it's yeah, and that's kind of like the that's like the big thing of it right now. And I I'm down for it, you know, and and I appreciate the fact that they are taking risks. You know, Paul, you said that. The movies during the Berman era felt very safe, right? It felt very stale um, and very uh, procedural and not in the television sense, but just like they were going through the motions. Like it was like, we have this conflict. This is the action that's going to happen. This is going to be the resolution. And we're going to have Picard punch someone in the head, you know, and that's going to be the end of the movie. But when you even go back to look at some of the original series movies, like they had a crazy one about time travel and saving whales. Like that's a crazy concept that I don't even know if a major studio would even bother to fund now because that doesn't seem like it would based off of demographics and internal figures would make any money but that's also one of the more iconic movies because of how weird and bizarre it is because they went back and saved a bunch of whales so it's like that's real risky but they didn't really take those risks and 
I feel like yeah. we're back to that now, you know? You know, be, beyond the beyond the one with the whales, um, I mean, and, and including the one with the whales, like, Star Trek Three has the crew, you know, like, basically, like, disbanding and then, like, coming back as, like, rebels, basically, and stealing the Enterprise and, right. you know, and then losing the Enterprise and the fourth film, you know, isn't, isn't based on the Enterprise. You know, like, th- those are... Those are bold moves for a franchise about a bunch of people on a spaceship called the Enterprise, you know, in their like funny uniforms, like they, they wore their like civilian clothing, which were even funnier. But, uh, in, you know, um, <laughs> yeah, like check off wearing in three. It's still it's not like enough time has gone yeah. by. Oh yeah, it was God. so weird. Sulu had the leather jacket draped over his shoulders like he was a yes. pimp. I don't know what actually, was going on. Actually, Sulu looked great in that movie, so whatever. Um, <laughs> He's a fashion icon. McCoy in yeah. the motion picture. I mean, he just stepped off a disco floor somewhere. I mean, he looked, he just looked dazzling, though, with that just beard. Just amazing. <laughs> yes. The, the, the chains. Uh, Absolutely. <laughs> Which is totally not his character at all. But that's okay. It's okay. No, it just makes you wonder what McCoy's like when he's off duty. But uh, That's true. You know, like. Surgeon's so like, hands, Paul. Surgeon's hands. Nick, Nick you, said some, <laughs> you said something about, like, we have these things forever now, and, like, uh, maybe I'm going through withdrawal, but I have been re- I rewatched the first season of Discovery after season three ended. I've been kind of like priming, priming myself to uh, get back to rewatch uh, season three in one go. And, you know, that was not my cup of tea. And like, I was like very disappointed with the first season of Discovery. Um, but like, I, this is like maybe the second or third time I've, I've rewatched it because like, I'm that kind of Star Trek fan. Um, and like, <laughs> I'm like, oh, I, I really miss like Stone Stamets, you know, when he like was high on the on the mushrooms in the middle of the season. Oh, yeah. Like, oh, I kind of I kind of miss Cole and like the Klingons that you could barely understand. And like, you know, like uh, I don't know if that's just like me like finally accepting that that's what that show was, or you know, like that like it it is Star Trek. We all do love this franchise, and even when we don't like love exactly what the franchise is doing there's still something there. There's like still like this germ of what we love in all of this. Yeah. I I would throw out there and I've said this many times because it's just a reality, not just within Star Trek, but in every major sci-fi fandom that I can think of, it's this idea that when things are happening new within the franchise, people hate it typically in the moment. But then as time goes on, people tend to actually fall in love with it. It's the same thing for the prequel trilogy in Star Wars. It's the same thing for uh, Enterprise. I remember when everybody hated Enterprise, but now people are like, that's my jam. I love Enterprise. I couldn't stand to lose it. Stargate Universe had the same problem where everybody hated Stargate Universe. Now people are like, why did they ever cancel this show? It's awesome, you know? And it's going to be the same thing. It's going to be the exact same thing with these shows. It's going to be people are going to be like, man, Discovery is the best thing ever. I can't believe anybody would have talked any kind of mess about it. And that's how people are going to be. And this, keep in mind, like, Enterprise ended in, like, what was it, 2005? It wasn't that long ago. And everyone hated it. And now people are like, nah, that's my jam. I love Enterprise. That's so cool. Faith of the heart, you know, big love in that, you know, and, you know, to Paul and Archer and everybody. And I'm telling you, it's going to be the same thing. It's going to be the same thing with Discovery and Picard, everybody who hated Picard. It's going to be the same thing with the sequel trilogy for Star Wars. People are going to be like, actually, I really love that, those movies, and those are really great, and I can't believe anybody ever talks smack about them. 
and everyone's just going to pretend like these few years didn't exist. So it's, and I'm waiting for that, you know, I'm waiting for I, that. Cause everyone, I think there's like a, it. I think there's a similar reconsideration of the Kelvin timeline movies right now. I've seen way more love on Twitter. Mm-hmm. That's gen, like my, that's my like access point to the Star Trek fan base's Twitter, but I've seen like way more love for those movies in the last couple of years that I've been on Twitter than I have, you know, in a long time. Um, it may be that in comparison to discovery, which is like really polarizing, they don't look quite so bad anymore, but, um, you know, I am happy to see that. <laughs> I'm as happy soon to as s- the next awful thing comes along, the previous awful thing doesn't feel awful anymore. <laughs> that's right. that's, that's right. basically what's going on. Right. Yeah. 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 But I mean, that's true though. That is it. You know, I remember because I remember I watched, uh, 2009, Star Trek 2009, the first Kelvin one, and I was, I was a young, I was a young man, and uh, I'll say, uh, but I would say that I was arguably in the target audience. I was, I was uh, a Trekkie, uh, you know, the demographic, you know, that they're trying to shoot for the 18 to 29 male demographic. That's a Star Trek fan. This is the demographic for this audience. I'm in that demographic, and I remember sitting there watching this thing on IMAX, of all things, and being completely blown away. It didn't bother me about the alternate timeline thing. I was just in love with the movie. I thought it was super fun, action-packed, loved it. I saw In the Darkness. I hated the story that they put together there. It was really weak, and it was kind of very strange. Still very beautifully well done. Star Trek Beyond came out. I loved Star Trek Beyond. I thought it was really, really great. And then I started hearing people saying that Beyond was the worst thing ever and the whole Kelvin movie sucks and that all that franchise just needs to go away. And now, like you said, like now I'm seeing the same thing on Twitter. Where people are like, those Kelvin movies, they're so good. And Jayla from Star Trek Beyond, love her. Such a great character. And I'm like, y'all hated this movie a couple <laughs> years ago. This was, And this just came out like what? Like four years ago, five years ago now? And people are like, no, those movies are really good. And I'm like... Oh my gosh. Yeah, the reconsideration, I don't know what we could call that a reconsideration phenomenon that happens in fandoms, but it is prevalent and it happens frequently. And I guarantee before this iteration of Star Trek is over with through Secret Hideout and Alex Kurtzman, people are going to have that, that, that phenomenon is going to hit and people are going to completely start to shift their perspectives on these franchises. I, I guarantee it. Guarantee it. I have a question for both of you. We're way off topic. That's fine, right? That's fine. We can just play we a, had a topic. <laughs> um, <laughs> so I, I've been wondering if either one of you or anybody out there, like in the comments section or whatever, um, would like to see Lower Decks, Picard, Prodigy when it finally comes out, Strange New World, Section Thirty One, and Discovery, like come together in some kind of like Avengers, Defenders you know, universe exploding crossover event. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. Recently, I asked Mint Mobile's legal team if big wireless companies are allowed to raise prices due to inflation. They said yes. And then when I asked if raising prices technically violates those onerous two-year contracts, they said, what the f*** are you talking about, you insane Hollywood ass. So to recap, we're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows full terms at mintmobile.com. I, you know what? Um, honestly, my simple answer is hell yeah, absolutely. 
I think it would be great. I think it would be a lot of fun. I think it would be hilarious if they had like this weird crossover event and like when some of the characters from the live action show appeared in you know lower decks they were like the animated version and or maybe vice versa where there's like a physical actor they have on set that plays Boimler or something you know I think that would be a lot of fun something crazy just like, get uh, Jack Quaid just get right just and, put and, and put, Tony Newsom to play uh, Mariner as well yeah literally they yeah. they they look like their characters and it would be awesome and hilarious I I would love to see that I think it would be an enormous amount of fun and I've theorized this myself I did a video a while ago about if the Pike show was actually going to be in the main timeline, uh, not in terms of the 25% and all that weird alternate timeline nonsense. I'm saying just because they really layered in the construct of the multiverse a lot with the third season of Discovery. They talked a lot about it. They've referenced the Kelvin timeline. They talked a lot about it there. And I feel like they're maybe trying to gear us up for something like that, where these multiverse kind of theories and constructs exist, and maybe they can kind of put everything together at a, at a critical juncture point i think it would be freaking awesome and i'd love to see it so yeah i want it yeah i would absolutely love it if they found a way to say that discovery and and strange new worlds however that ends up you know uh coming in like that the 23rd century stuff that we've seen in the last couple years is an alternate version um just so that i know that like it's so stupid to like hold on to like like the like the canon minutia and like let that affect your enjoyment. But um, like I just actually just writ, wrote an article about the um, the Discovery era Enterprise, and like one of the points that I was making was this is a retcon. Like you know with its appearance in in the short trek Ephraim and Dot, where it's the you know they're showing the Pike Discovery Enterprise as Kirk's enterprise, like they, they, they're just overriding the original stuff. And like, that's fine. You know, like a franchise needs to grow, but the problem is that it's like a, like a domino effect and it like knocks down a bunch of other stuff. You know, we can't just mm -hmm. look back at the original series and say, well, that's just because of 1960s television production. That's why it looks that way. It doesn't really look that way. Because then you have to say, well, why does Relics look that way? Or why does In a Mirror Darkly and Enterprise look that way? You know, it just like ca causes all of these other like, you know, elements to kind of like come into question. And I, I, I like the Star Trek universe to be like really cohesive. And, you know, it's not the most cohesive. Like we always give it way more credit than it, than it deserves for the continuity. But it feels tight. You know, it, like it feels like it makes sense. And like overriding stuff like loosens that like feeling of reality at least to me so i'd like to the point i'm trying to make is i would love it if they found a way to say there's like some kind of alternate universe shenanigans going on i think that's very very doable as well in i mean what are the rules you know what i mean everyone had like each series imposes their own set of rules for that would might get governed that series but do the rules of the next generation necessarily govern the rules of discovery do the rules of what will be coming in strange new worlds should they fit the rules of the original series uh roddenberry himself uh, famously didn't count any kind of continuity between the original series and next gen until he did and it was literally like that it was just oh okay they are now and animated series is yeah but that isn't what that is and i think just kind of have fun with it let it be sprawling because it is much, it feels like it's much more sprawling now than it was before. At least, I suppose, with the Berman era Trek, 
you kind of got this idea that with the exception obviously of Voyager and the Delta Quadrant, everything happened within about 20 square blocks of each other. Right. You know, if you need to get to Earth, you can get there in a couple of hours. You know, it's grand. Never mind the fact that it's halfway across the quadrant. Stuff like that. <laughs> um, you know, could there be a thing where everyone gets together? I would love that. I mean, the geek in me put every single captain in a room. Do it quickly. But, you know, do put every single yeah. captain in a room together, you know? Have this captain summit. Have some sort of surely cue and come up with a reason to get everyone in a room together. Um, and the way technology has gone, you could have animated Mariner and Boimler standing in the same shot as... You know. <laughs> An animated version of themselves? That'd be funny too. <laughs> Absolutely fine, yeah. you know? Um, I think what we've all done at some point in our lives, and a lot of people do, is... And I don't mean this to take away the importance of starting, but sometimes we end up taking it a little bit too seriously. It is a, a fantastic parable. It's a, you know, obviously it's began as morality tales. I think it's an incredibly important piece of pop culture history ongoing. But when we start to go, no, it is this one thing and it must remain this one thing because of X, Y, and Z, you just limit the imagination that's involved in it. Uh, could we have Mariner turn up on Deep Space Nine and chat to Jake Sisko? Yeah, why not? You know? I, uh, um, yeah, I'll I'll say this right. So it's well, how do you how do you increase the longevity of the franchise? We've gone for fifty five years. How do we do the next fifty five? And what you have to do is you have to break a few of those walls in order to start being able to do that. I mean, people like to compare the Star Trek canon to the Marvel Cinematic Universe, which is a horrific thing to compare the two together because Marvel's got 10 years and it's been had by the same person all of those 10 years. And even they now are recognizing that if we want to continue to expand and make things a little bit different and not get ourselves boxed into a corner for their next 10 years, they need to introduce the construct of the multiverse, which is exactly what they're doing. They have literally the movie called Doctor Strange and the Multiverse of Madness or whatever it is to bridge those gaps and start to create these other ideas and ways to tell stories without boxing themselves into a corner. And I really do feel like they sat down in the room at Secret Hideout and they said, how do we plan for the next 55 years? How do we set the next guy, Gallard Pal, that's going to be running this franchise 50 years from now and keep the longevity for this franchise going? How do we set them up for success? Well, what you do is you don't create this bounding box that becomes so restrictive that you can't have any of that creativity available to tell stories in either old eras or new eras. And I think that, like you were talking about the visual retcon of the Enterprise and how that does create inconsistencies and it is causing all these weird things. I don't... I am. I would put forth the argument that some of that stuff is accidental, but a lot of that stuff is intentional in a way to start to break down our own minds as fans of Star Trek to stop thinking of it as this is the only way that this can function. This is exactly the way it must look for forever and work for forever. They're doing it in, in a way that is trying to loosen the grip on that reality for us so that they can start to pump in more content for the next 10, 20, 30, 40, 50 years. And I think that they're, I think some of the stuff that they're doing is, is genuinely intentional, just like the, the different designs of the enterprise, right? Right now, for the exact same NCC-1701 or even the NCC-1701A, there's a couple of different variations out there, and I feel like that's intentional. 
that's an interesting observation. I hadn't really thought about it in that way. And that's also like, you know, that could easily explain a bit of the resistance that the show's run up, up against is that people don't like being told that they're wrong or that something that they perceive to be a certain way for decades, literally decades, you know, isn't exactly what they've always thought it was. Yeah, it's a tough pill to swallow, you know, it is. And I think that I think that we as current Trekkies are going to struggle with it the the hardest because like you just said, we've grown up with this stuff. We've known this stuff for we're none of us are 55, so we've all lived our entire lives within the Star Trek universe and its current construct, and they're literally trying to shake the foundations of that. So there's a lot of resistance to that idea of change. But honestly, the fans, specifically the ones like that they're targeting with like Prodigy, for instance, when they're our age, this won't be a problem for them because they will have been exposed to these different ideas at a younger age going into teenage years and then 20s and 30s and, and so on. So that when they're the ones carrying the mantle of the Trek fandom and we're all long dead, you know, from old age, uh, they're the ones that are going to be experiencing the new stuff and they will hopefully have a more flexible nature about the franchise, which is what it needs in order to survive, in my opinion, because you can't, because people are like, well, why don't you just keep putting it into the future and putting it into the future? Well, okay, so then maybe we'll make like three or four more shows. How much further into the future could we possibly continue to make this? Is it just going to be in the year 50,000? Okay, what does that look like? Do they even have chairs? Like, I don't even know. Is everyone just floating around? You know what I mean? So it's like, you, 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 that in itself is a limit. So you have to start to shake some of these things up so that we can be more open to these ideas. And I think it's the first season of discovery was, was tough for me to swallow that pill. But I think from 2017 to now 2021, I've gotten used to that idea that they're, they're just changing things up and that's, it's either get on board with it and get over it, or you're going to hate everything you're seeing on screen. It's going to drive you nuts. What is yeah, it? That, I mean, uh, go ahead, Sean. I've been, I was yeah. going to say, what, what is it that our favorite uh, short-lived chancellor said if there is to be a brave new world our generation is going to have the hardest time living in it right you know? I think that that's a great place to end this uh, particularly downbeat uh, <laughs> conversation <laughs> on uh, because we do have some news uh, as it relates to to uh, Sean's reference there so um, let's go to the news For over two centuries, you're listening to the Federation News Network. All all Trekkies of all ages are mourning at the moment because we lost one of the greatest Klingons ever there over the weekend. The great Christopher Plummer passed away at the absolutely superb age of 91. Good inning. Yeah, you know, um, I, 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 I obviously know Christopher Plummer um, as General Chang, um, but... Uh, as a kid, one of my favorite movies, which I should not have watched, um, was the 1980s Dragnet movie with Dan Aykroyd <laughs> and Tom Hanks. And, I knew you were going to say that. Yeah, <laughs> and he played a he played a character called the Reverend Worley, and I'll never I'll never I'll never forget I'll never forget some lines that he delivered in that movie. I never I never saw a Sound of Music, but I've seen Dragnet a million times. You know, Christopher Plummer. You know, I I think, you know, he was obviously, he's one of those kind of uh, generational actors 
that for an older generation, older than older than us, he was, I think, more of a leading kind of person and more prominent. I, in my experience with him, he's always had like these great, fantastic, like supporting roles. Like he would always just appear in movies and suddenly have this very strong presence. Like I think he was just recently in that movie. Um, was it Knives Out? Is that the name of the movie I'm thinking yes. of? Yes. Yep. Yeah. It was. And yeah. he wasn't in it for very long, obviously, because, you know, spoiler alert, he was the guy that they were, whose murder they were investigating. But uh, that's that's what he was, like, his his capability as an actor of just being like, hey, we're going to film you for, we got a couple of scenes with you. You need to be here for like a week. We're going to shoot all your stuff. And, you know, every scene that he's in is fantastic, you know, and he's just really, really great at, at providing these roles and giving the gravitas to these roles that, that a lesser actor would would struggle with or maybe not make such of an impact but you know he was he's a fantastic actor you know it's a huge a huge loss but i would also as you said sean just a minute ago you know you know way to do it you know really lived a full life like that's a full life like you know it's it's you can really say like you know it's very sad to see him go but it's also really great that he was around for as long as he was so that we could experience as much of him and and he was just he was still filming he was still filming stuff i'm not even sure i think there's still movies that are getting ready to come out that he's in like he's still going out there you know it, despite everything you know so it's great yeah it's a it was a great career and, and it's sad to see him gone yeah, and he's in classics like The Sound of Music which will you know people will continue to watch and people like us will continue to watch the undiscovered country every like six months or whatever, however, you know, like however often we <laughs> yep. watch these things. Yes, so, yep. uh, yeah. Or like, uh, you know, I don't know who, who might be doing it, but like, he's even in that Klingon Academy PC game from 2000. So really good. Know. Yes. Really, yes. Yeah. Um, I was actually just really quickly just on that poll. Um, we did, uh, we, we wrote an article, things we didn't know about general Chang. And, uh, I was aware of the game, but I hadn't, I still haven't played it. But I've just read the plot. It sounds awesome. General Chang's an amazing character. And Christopher Plummer is just like, so good. So I, good as the character. I couldn't believe they got him back like 10 years later to play that part. You know, yeah. like, but uh, he's like, I don't know. He, you know, he's just like such a, such a, such, such an icon. I can't believe he's in this like silly Star Trek PC game. But that's what I'm saying, you know? That's what I mean. Like, he has this ability to just kind of appear in places you would not expect him to be, and he just owns it, you know? And he just crushes it when he's there, this game included, you know? And and I I I do know the game you guys are, are referencing right now. I, my dad actually has a copy of it on his computer because he actually has it as a Mac game because Whoa. it came out like this weird Mac bundle. Uh, so he has it like this old game there. But yes, I do recall the game as well. So yeah, it's, it's crazy. It's, it is sad to see him go though. But right, he's going to be living on literally forever because Star Trek is eternal and now he is eternal through Star Trek. Yeah, and speaking of games, uh, the Super Bowl was uh, last weekend. Uh, I can't imagine either Sean or myself. I mean, I, I know that I didn't watch it, but Sean... I was just like, you know, wow, that's a hard left turn there, Paul. <laughs> <laughs> Speaking of the game. Yeah. Speaking Yeah, that was a great transition. That was good. <laughs> so I, the Super Bowl, I watched it. I watched yeah, it. Yeah, yeah, I, yeah. Figured, I figured you'd watch it next year uh, on the opposite side of your board cube. We've got the... Yeah, what is that? Like, football helmet. Okay. Yeah, exactly. So. Some kind of... Sp- Sporting attire. Um, <laughs> yeah. So Paramount Plus did this like ad 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 blitz leading up to uh, the big game, and mm-hmm. 
you know, I, I don't think we really talked about it last week. So like uh, we can talk about it a little bit now is the fact that it leaned heavily into Pike and Spock, presumably ahead of Strange New Worlds and not just because their costumes are more recognizable than Michael Burnham's costume. I, yeah, I think that there was a couple of very, so the whole media ad blitz was the climb to Paramount Mountain. Paramount Mountain is the construct there. So they're really leaning into the Paramount Plus construct. I don't know why, which is, it's so weird, right? Because you had CBS and then you had Viacom and then Viacom owned Paramount. And then back in the day, they used to all be together. And now they're back together again after their brutal divorce, I think in like, what, 2006 or something. And mm. then they said, well, we're going to make a new streaming service and we're going to call it Paramount, which is not any of the names of the company because the company is now called Viacom CBS. I don't know what they're doing down there. They're all over the place with their names. But I do think that uh, the ad blitz was effective because it got a lot of people talking. Um, it did, yeah. Not in so many good ways. Some people were getting a little annoyed because they felt like they were getting bombarded with Paramount Plus ads during the Super Bowl. But, you know, hey, you know, that's, you know, such is life. But, uh, yeah, they definitely featured heavily Spock and Pike. Uh, there was one that did include Michael Burnham. I don't know if you guys saw that one, but there yes. was one that did include yeah. her as well. Um, and, of course, with- the Christine Bronski. With well, Beavis and Butthead. Yes. Yeah, very, oh, yeah. Well, it was all over the place. It was. I mean, they had Sir Patrick there next to a snow globe filled with SpongeBob characters singing. You know, so it was. Uh, it was kind of all over the place. But yes, they definitely leaned heavily leading up to this event with the the Pike and Spock stuff, and I think that's probably because the uniforms are more recognizable. Probably because Spock is more recognizable. Probably because the average viewer probably thinks that that's just a new Kirk, and they don't even realize that that's Pike. Um, just being honest, you know, people, some people don't know. And also because they're trying to advertise strange new worlds because that will be coming out maybe this year, hopefully fingers crossed. Yeah. So they're trying to get probably not, probably not. (laughs) It's one of those kind of dial your expectations down and anything else is a plus. Uh, I think you're right. I think everyone who is aware of Star Trek on some form or another knows Spock. Yes. It's a bit like everyone who's aware of Star Wars knows Vader, you know, these kind of yes. things. Yeah. Um, so I totally get why they need to. I also get, I like that Patrick Stewart was the one at the head of the, or at the peak yes. of the mountain. That makes that makes perfect sense. Um, Just given we talk the star about... power that they had to play with, I mean, he really kind of is at the top, isn't he? I, I mean, mean, there, there was, was not... like Snooky and SpongeBob. Yeah, <laughs> it was, it was all Sorry, over the place, you. right? They had Stephen Colbert as the bartender. They had um, uh, uh, Gail, whose name Gail King, the news oh, anchor. Yeah. For she was there too. So yeah, it was kind of like all over the place with their star power. But yeah, I think Sir Patrick is probably the one of the more recognizable faces up there for sure. I thought it was interesting, and I'm curious to hear what you guys thought about this. I thought it was interesting. That Sir Patrick was not in a, well, he wouldn't really be in a uniform, but he was not in any kind of Picard-related costume. He was in a tuxedo, which is, of course, classic Sir Patrick, but Mm. that was obviously intentional, and I feel like that kind of needs to get into the broader discussion of the potential pitfalls that are awaiting Paramount+, Plus, which is the international distribution of some of the Star Trek shows, because I feel like they were trying to send a subtle message that perhaps Picard is not going to be on Paramount Plus, at least for the foreseeable future, because he wasn't really repping that, and we didn't see any other Picard characters there. 
Yeah, I think CBS got a lot of flack for uh, licensing Discovery and Picard uh, to, to different streaming services. And I, I, this is not my theory. I had seen somebody speculate that they were not wanting to consolidate the franchise in a single place because they had every intention of doing that on their own streaming service internationally with Paramount+. Plus. I suppose it's as good of a theory, yeah. Should we have between over here? We've got Netflix, Amazon Prime, um, CBS All Access is not currently available here. Um, so, uh, you've is everything available on CBS All Access? Yes, yes, it is. okay. In the okay. states, it's all available, but the international distribution is what's going to be it's weird. Deep. It's going to be strange. And then Lower Decks is also seems to be following the same pitfall as Picard because Amazon Prime just got the international distribution rights for the first season. And it's unclear if that will include the second season. And my assumption is probably yes. I would be surprised if Amazon ponied up cash for the distribution rights of a show that and they know these things internally, they definitely know these things, that has been considerably pirated for the last six months. So would Amazon Prime really cut a check for that kind of a show without a second season distro right? I really, I'd be very surprised by that if they don't have the second season. I I wonder, this is just pure speculation for a moment. Um, Watch Paul's eyes twitch. Um, (laughs) (laughs) No, it would be interesting to see what, uh, if there was something to do with MGM, uh, what they they don't uh, sell the streaming rights for Stargate to any one uh, company. For example, it's it's been and gone from Netflix a few times. It's been and gone mm-hmm. from Amazon a few times, um, and they seem to have successfully not consolidated uh, the same series in one spot. Uh, now I know MGM are the, the last. This is all rumor. The last rumor I read is that apparently they're they've gone up for sale or they are going up for sale. Yeah, they're always up for um, sale, man. They're buying and getting sold. They're just, it's terrible down there at MGM. I need them to get, find it. Disney needs to buy them so we can get a new Stargate show, but that's unrelated. We're moving on. The last rumor I heard is that the House of Mouse is uh, eyeing up uh, the lion. But, you know, it is possible to do these things where it is, you know, on multiple uh, distributors, um, you know, because it would obviously be handiest for us living outside the U.S., you know, just like, I just want to sign in and have it all in the same place. Thanks for it. And yes, I will pay for that for the convenience of having everything in the same place because it's pay extra for Amazon Prime to get Picard and Lower Decks. You have your Netflix here. It's just like, you know, I will pay more for one place, but I not, might not necessarily pay for three or four or five different streaming services. Right. I So the thing with... So Netflix... So in the States... Netflix has Star Trek, but it's also all on CBS, all access. Mm. Um, so that that construct exists. I don't know if it's, I assume it's, I think it's still on there. I don't think they've removed it, but I'm sure eventually is, they yeah. will, that deal. That deal will probably eventually expire. Mm. So that construct does exist here in the States. And it, I don't think it's hurting the bottom line at all. But the difference, though, is that Netflix doesn't get the new stuff. They only have the legacy shows, whereas internationally, Netflix gets Discovery. Yes. Yeah. So the fun thing, so Netflix is really the big question mark as to where, if Discovery is going to be on Netflix again in the fourth season, and we don't have the answer to that yet, because from what I understand, there's rumors that the deal with Netflix was either for the first three seasons or for the first five seasons, 
and we don't have any confirmation on that. But Amazon's a little bit of a different beast, right? Because through Amazon Prime, when you go log into your Prime account, you're on Amazon Video, you can watch HBO Go or HBO Max through Amazon. Like you can just go to Amazon.com and just sign in with your HBO account and you can just watch it all there. Now, that is a deal through those companies saying that they'll be able to host and have that kind of portal back into the HBO account. They could be doing something like that for Paramount Plus, which would help out a lot, I think, because that would still bump up the Paramount Plus numbers and reduce the costs of people's, you know, subscriptions. So we'll see if that actually pans out. But it is going to be really interesting. We'll know more, obviously, in like the next six months of how mm-hmm. that's going to work out. But it is going to be rather interesting to see where these shows actually fall into place. Because you're right. People, I think, are going to be okay to stomach it for a little while. But if they're planning on doing this for the next three or four years, like, it's not going to pan out very well. Like, people are just going to stop subscribing to certain shows or certain channels, I should say. Yeah, they're going to put them in Cargo Bay 101. Which means Uh it is time for an Earl Grey pour-up. Hashtag. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> you, you nailed it uh, <laughs> absolutely look you, you get one perfect transition per episode you used it earlier and yeah. look solid effort <laughs> no pressure but this is going to be the last episode of the Trek Culture Podcast for the foreseeable future in its current format. So what you put in is what it will forever be remembered for. But no pressure. <laughs> yeah. What it will forever be remembered for. Oh, this is gosh. it, yeah. Um, you know what? I'm going to put... I'm going to put something that I think most people agree is the worst episode of Star Trek The Next Generation ever to exist inside of the airlock, Cargo Bay 101, to blow out the airlock. Do you guys know what episode I'm about to say? If you say Sabrosa, I'm going to put you out the airlock. Oh, come on! (laughs) (laughs) Oh, God, I, I, I I have a feeling that Tasha Yar is involved. Yes, it is the Tasha Yar uh, episode, um, and dang it, now I'm not. Now I'm spacing on the name of the episode. Is it um, Code of Honor? Code of Honor. There we go. I'm putting Code of Honor inside of Cargo Bay 101. Sobrasa is the one that everybody likes to make fun of. It exists within a meme construct, and yes, that's it why does. I love it. It's yeah. terrible, and we love it because it's terrible. Whereas Code of Honor is just terrible, and that needs to go. So that's what I'm putting in there. So it's like basically like, um, are you going to put Code of Honor in the airlock or are you a racist? (laughs) Um, I wouldn't put it that way. (laughs) But that's how I'm doing it, yes. (laughs) That's how I feel about it. Didn't Jonathan Frakes call it a racist piece of He did. Yes, Yes, he's on record of saying that it's a racist episode. Yes, that is correct. So I'm putting that racist piece of episode out the airlock. That's the plan. Uh, I'm going. I'm going to say right now. Uh, there, there's no arguing this one. It's going. But I think right for the spirit of this episode, Paul, do you have something that you feel could also go in with? You know, Joe. One thing. I'm not defending the episode, but Tasha Yar really doesn't have a lot of screen time to spare. But anyway, listen. It is what it is. Um, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Well, Sounds like you're defending it. That's <laughs> that's, uh, that's it. Well, li- listen. If ever there was a time to get cancelled. Um, 
But uh, what? So what else have we got? I th- I, th- I feel like for, th- for this, this should be a spectacular cargo bay one one. That is a spectacular. That needs to go. That needs to die. Right. So I'm trying to think now of of what else needs to go in. Uh, I'm, you know, it's a lot of pressure, uh, and I hate like a lot of stuff that could like go in. Sorry, like you know, like I have strong yeah, feelings for, about for it. For you, it's narrowing yeah. down what you hate, and, and okay. that's in fairness, that's but a difficult I, job. I, I have one because I actually. Um, I wrote an, uh, an article about the Cerritos, 10 Secrets of the Cerritos You Need to Know, and I made fun of the uh, Argo from Nemesis, which is also in uh, uh, Lower Decks. And somebody was like, why, why are you hating on the Argo? I, that sequence with the Argo, they, they, they just happen to have a dune buggy for the first time in all of Star Trek. They take it to this planet, which coincidentally is inhabited by a race of dune buggy aliens. <laughs> dune buggy enthusiasts okay. <laughs> and they're like oh like we have to be careful because we don't want to like you know violate the prime directive and then they get into a like a chase scene with the with the dune buggy aliens and shoot at them it's like the worst it's absolutely a terrible you're missing the best part of that which is where as they quickly realize that Dune Buggy is being overpowered by the Dune Buggy enthusiasts, Data uses his remote control pad to fly the shuttle that they flew in on to an area where they can jump the Dune Buggy back inside of it instead of just using the shuttle to begin with. I thought that is a. I thought the best part of that was uh, Worf's big purple space laser that comes out of the back because he like Worf. <laughs> Worf is like basically like in a sidecar. Like he gets to sit in the back, and he's got a big gun. It's it's, it's a dreadful like, scene, man. He was like Federation ambassador to Kronos, and then they're like, "Yeah, whatever, Worf, just sit in the back of the the dune bug, you idiot, and shoot this gun." And he hits like literally nothing. Like he fires unlimited ammo. I think he hits one dune buggy. Yeah, he's a terrible shot with it. Poor Worf goes from being ambassador to Kronos to just pushing buttons on the Enterprise bridge again after twenty five years. That's right. Yep, that's exactly correct. Um, I'm going to, right, add to that one. I think that's a perfect one because I want to throw in, with the Dune Buggy, with Code of Honor, I want to throw in everyone always denying Worf in the next generation. The Mm -hmm. man can't make a single suggestion without somebody saying no. And I think that's just enough. This is the Federation Ambassador to Kronos here. Show the man some respect. Nope. Doesn't get any respect. So I like that. That's a good one, too. He does get told no all the time. I That's love true. in Samaritan Snare where Worf's like, do we have to send our chief engineer over to these shifty pack lids? And everybody's like, shut up, Worf. What are you talking about? Yeah. Yeah. Shut your stupid security security chief uh, mouth up. Even though he literally replaced the last security chief who died by a guy dressed as a tar monster trash bag. <laughs> okay. Yeah. No, no. He's, yeah. I agree with that. That needs to go out the airlock. Correct. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Okay, cool. So we ha- well, I think we have some pretty solid choices for our final, for now, Cargo Bay 101. Um, so grab onto something, because we're depressurizing this bay. Well, before we go, uh, why don't you tell everyone where uh, they can find you since they won't be finding you on this podcast anymore. That's or true, again. because we just blew it out the right. airlock for forever, maybe. Yeah. Um, you can find me on YouTube, uh, of course, if you just search for Ketwalski, or if you go to YouTube.com slash Ketwalski, you'll pull up the channel, or you can uh, 
follow me on Twitter. I'm pretty active over there as well, and uh, the DMs are open, and uh, I'm just on there as at Rio Ketwalski. You'll be able to find me there. I'm on Facebook and pretty much all the social media sites and stuff like that. So uh, I, if you do send me a message or an email or something like that, i do my best to try to respond to it if I can, if I see it. But I usually read everything, but I don't always get to respond. So if you got a question or comment or feedback or whatever, just send it my way. And Sean. That's good. I tend to respond to everything without reading it. So th- I like your one is better. <laughs> uh, well, yeah, you, obviously you could find us at Trek Culture on Twitter. Um, you could also find us where you're probably watching us right now, Trek Culture on YouTube. Um, find myself at Sean Ferrick, Paul. Me at Paul Sutherland uh, on Twitter. Uh, you can slide into those DMs. There is no security <laughs> protocol. You're just in those DMs. That's right. That's They're wide open. Please, please, if you wouldn't mind. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Does anyone want to DM me? Hello? <laughs> yeah. Is this thing on? <laughs> um, uh, look, uh, Nick, thank you so much for joining us this evening, this afternoon, whatever time it is for yourself. Um, really, really appreciate it. This has, been, this has been a really, really just fantastic, fun last last bit of time as well and paul i just want to say thank you so much for being such a great co-host for this whole time you're so lovely and chris thank you so much for all the editing you've done as well you're so lovely too yeah it's been nice knowing you sean (laughs) yeah you too peter that's right the the friendship is also out the airlock (laughs) that's right that's right yeah no i uh i appreciate you guys having me on you know it was a really great conversation i thought we got into some really great topics and uh it's sad to see that this podcast is leaving because I would love to come back on. But maybe if it uh, comes back, uh, maybe I'll swing back through. That'll be fun. This is when you invite us onto your show. Oh, okay. Listen, I don't have a cool podcast or a cool <laughs> podcast name, but you can definitely Whoa, just come rejected. on and just on about it. Oh, okay. Yeah, okay. No, no, you guys can come on and just talk about Star Trek. I don't have anything. I don't have any branding for podcasts. I don't go live or do podcasts enough, but... Uh, I don't yeah, talk about Star Trek enough, so yeah, sure, let's do it. That's, I mean, come on, yeah, I mean, we just need to continue to bitch about Star Trek Discovery, so come on over. <laughs> Are we going to end on this, like, awkward note now? Yes, we can. <laughs> Absolutely. Just leave okay, it. that's it. Uh, Bye. All right, thank you very much. <laughs> <laughs> <Bye>. <laughs> So, you've got an idea for a business, the store of your dreams. There's just one thing to figure out, everything. That's why Shopify's all-in-one commerce platform makes it easy to sell online, in person, and everywhere else. Sell on social media, source products with an app to get that first sale feeling. It's the only solution that gives you everything you need to sell everywhere you want. So when you're ready to bring your idea to life, power it up with Shopify. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash listen. 